Let's do it. Well, hello there. Hey, it's a real thing, Patriots Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. A little extra glee in the voice. Is it possible? I try to do this every week, but uh, we've got a lot to be happy about lately. If you're a Patriots fan, plenty to cheer about when team is advancing to the Super Bowl. Obviously, that's that's easy and obvious. Uh, but one of the things that uh, makes this a little extra fun for me is really the the crazy roller coaster we've been on together doing the show week after week, uh, kind of talking through things with this Patriots team. There's certainly been some shows where we've had to kind of you know pick through muck and go through the garbage can and be like, well, this sucked, that sucked, uh, this needs to be better, uh, but are there real reasons to believe that it can be? And those are sometimes tough things to uh, for, for a former player like me or an analyst to sell to someone uh, if I truly believe it, you know, if I've reviewed the the tape and I see that, you know what, these are all fixable things, but those can those can be difficult things to sell to someone if it sounds too just, you know, that I'm I'm cheering for it to happen as opposed to I see something technical that can change uh, and, and actually see some ability and 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 sort of greater ceiling for things that aren't be accomplished on tape, but. I think there was a lot of that this year, and again, as I mentioned, it's it's not the easiest sell in the world, and I don't want to come off as if, as if I'm just cheering or hoping for something to happen, but rather trying to uh, to impart a little insight into, man, this, this is actually really close. It's not as bad as you think. Uh, or in moments where it was pretty good, it's really good, and, and there's some sort of areas here that deserve some greater appreciation, but... That makes for a weird and a fun year because there are some stinkers, there are some extremely satisfying ones, and uh, you know I I would count that Chiefs one obviously you know when you advance the Super Bowl it's easy to say it's it's very satisfying but uh, from a personal standpoint uh, you know just my perspective I guess on being down there in Kansas City and. And for those of you folks that that weren't down there and able to make the trip, although I did see a lot of Patriots fans there, uh, it was it was actually kind of fun and interesting to, to you know to sort of be walking through the concourse, concourses there, at least towards the media area, the parking lot, and it's obviously rabid with with the red stuff with the Chiefs, but did see a decent amount of Patriots fans in bars there in Kansas City the night before Ness and were doing some taping and day of. Uh, so I know there are some of you that did make that trip, but by and large, obviously most people were hanging back here in New England or around the country um, and just, uh, or world, and, and uh, watching this thing under two. But, uh, and in doing that, you're not getting to see the atmosphere and, and really feel that place, which I think, it's different is all I can say. And, and, and I'm, I, I don't even know if I should go down this road, but I'm going to. Uh, New England Patriots games are phenomenal. Uh, Gillette is one of the nicest stadiums as far as just the sharpness, the cleanliness, uh, but it, 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 the newness, it, you know, there's, there's just, it, it's a really nice stadium. Uh, it's, it's a really well planned and thought out kind of a, uh, venue as far as all the things going on outside the building uh, but it's just different that place is different I'm going to use this word and I know if it's like a dirty word uh, it does feel more corporate um, you know that it has sort of a a well-planned and thought-out new mall kind of feel um, which is not a bad thing it's not a bad thing but it's a different thing relative to Kansas City Kansas City to me is a little closer to like a buffalo uh, you know, it's an older stadium. It's just a big bowl. Uh, it's loud. Gillette is loud too, but Gillette's uh, sort of the way it's engineered. It's not going to be as loud because of the big open ends on both sides. Uh, so, you know, you, go, you it's, it has a different feel. It feels more like going to uh, a big college game. And why I bring that part up before we dive into the particulars here is just you know, the way that kind of pours over a player, and, and I mean, it's corny as hell, but obviously I'm just a media guy now. I have nothing to do with the games themselves. But, you know, even just walking through there as a media person and, you know, having a blue coat on. I mean, I wasn't wearing Patriots gear or anything like that, but I, I certainly wasn't dressed head to toe and in, in, in head to toe in either red or yellow. Uh, you feel like, you know, it feels sort of into the furnace. It really, it really, that place had sort of a, Mad at you, uh, you know, it was a, a hostile environment. Let's put it that way. Uh, and you saw at the end there when, when they score the final touchdown in overtime and the beers 
are being thrown at some of the players there at the end zone. And, you know, we're going out on the field to do TV after uh, to do our nest and wrap-up stuff and the, the stuff with Fox 25 with Tom Leiden and, uh, and Butchie Stearns there. Uh, we're, you know, even as you stood on the field and are clearly from a New England organization uh, and people pick up on that stuff quick, you can you can feel the stares and hear the murmurs and hear the people swearing and you know congregating around and they're pissed off. I mean, but that let's let's put it this way: I love that. You know, I love hostile environment. I, I so I I put that and the environmental stuff and sort of the context of of what they had to go in there to win in uh, as as really part of what makes it so satisfying. It's a it's a big mountain to climb. That was an angry, tough. You know, it was just a difficult, difficult place to 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 make a play. Uh, you know, the, the the sound portion is part of it, and uh, you, you know they start doing the, the 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 chant thing there with the arm, the whole uh, whatever the Chiefs thing, the old Atlanta Braves thing, Florida State thing, whatever. Um, and, and you know the place rocks. It's 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 kind of cool. I mean, you, you know, you have to try. You know, you're not getting caught up in it as much because it's not your team that's cheering necessarily, but it's it's a cool environment. And you could see how maybe a younger player, even an older player that's not used to that, could get caught up in the moment, get overwhelmed by it, get a penalty, uh, let the emotion run a little bit after a bad play or two, and not respond. But one of the things that I've really learned about this team, and I think it pours over to the last several seasons of covering this team, is they're really, really, really emotionally tough. Now, getting to talk to some of these guys uh, and getting to know a little, uh, get them, getting to know them a little bit off the field. Uh, I'm still an old guy, twice the age. A lot of these guys that are on the team, uh, but you know, I, you, you get to kind of feel what they're all about. Uh, every team's going to have some clowns, and I say that in a, in a not not in a derogatory way. But guys that are more goofy, guys that are more off the wall, guys that or harder to handle or something like that for a coaching staff, the personalities or whatever. There's a few of those, of course. Every team needs them, and it's not like you don't want a bunch of straight-laced guys. you got to have some weirdos. you got to have some guys that that are you know a little out there because football's a crazy game. You're not, you're not getting uh, you know just uh, cubicle, white-collar kind of stuff. I mean, that, that's just not the job. You have to, some people have to be a little nutty to want to go in there and, and, and hit and do the things that you have to do to do that gig. Uh, but I say that, and there also are a lot of just really buy-in guys. Uh, from you know, if you get around Trent Brown a little bit, and I, I'm not purporting to really know him real well, just a handful of interactions. But guys like Trent Brown, who come from another place, and 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 have really really bought in, and you can tell it's like you know he just isn't interested in the BS. He's just here. Uh, he's a really affable guy. Uh, obviously, a monstrous human being. But a buy, the buy-in is huge with that guy. You can just tell. Interviews, he's just like, you know, um, I'm just, uh, you know, I heard that you probably know the one interview I'm talking about here where he was in the locker room and during avails, availabilities and he's talking about the bull crap that he'd heard about this place and how it all turned out to be nonsense and how much he enjoys it and how much he loves Scar and how much he loves playing with his teammates and, and what a good group it is. And that kind of turned me this week to not wanting to do a real technical throughout the AFC Championship game. I'm doing this so late in the week anyway, you're probably done with that game in your head. I want to more spend uh, this dialing it forward and talking about these personalities. I mentioned Trent Brown. Uh, you could go down the list of like like Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead and some of the more complimentary guys that... Are, are relatively quiet dudes. These are not like loud, grab the microphone, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, bodacious is the wrong word, but just big old personalities that are that are different. Like Cordero Patterson's kind of a goofy guy in a good way. He's a little bit crazy. He loves him some Cordero Patterson. I think that's a good thing. You know, you got an ultimately confident guy, a guy that just give me the ball, put me in more, do more, da da da. He's, you know, I'll be, I'll be the best at whatever you allow me to do in the league. You got that guy, but then you've got a lot of guys like Rex Burkhead. You got a lot of guys like Sony that are just. Nose to the grindstone, get it done, uh, Patriot way, whatever that means, uh, but super coachable. Not that Corderell isn't. I don't know by making that a distinction. I'm, I'm confusing that point. But there just seems to be a lot of good dudes uh, on this on this particular team. David Andrews is a rock. Uh, Landon Roberts is, is a rock. He's just, he, you know, he's, he's had a lot of pressure on him. His role has changed and gone all up and down and over the place. Arrives in the biggest game, does a big does big time stuff. 
Um, you know, Kyle Van Noy, salty as hell, and I love that because he's been shat upon, uh, you know, by some local idiots and things like that. Uh, but not that, you know, you get to a point when you're on a team where you start to really just look at the people that do critique you when the, in the moments where they really don't know what they're talking about, just as fools. Uh, Carnival Barkers, people that you don't really pay much attention to, but you noticed it once and then you move on from that. And sometimes it does drive you, and you can tell that that certainly is uh, sits in his craw and all those kinds of things. But... Um, beyond, uh, you know, just running down the roster, what each guy's like, let's get off that. Uh, I want to go into sort of underrated performances, uh, from the AFC championship game. And why I want to do that is because I want to kind of set the table for some guys that have been doing some nice things in this big old team game that we have that is, that is professional football and, and, and just shine light in a, in half a dozen places here that sometimes don't get it. Uh, especially for those guys that aren't going to have a stat to go with it, to let you know what's been going on, uh, with them. Um, and, and, and I do that because we're going to now dive into, uh, the next show you'll hear from me after this one is going to be an AFC championship or excuse me, it's going to be a Super Bowl show. So we're going to spend every minute of that really, really digging into the Rams. Look at the LA Rams, maybe dip a little into the storyline stuff, uh, from the O one one game and all that. And, and, but really, really more so than that, it's the real thing Patriots podcast. We want to do real thing stuff, real stuff. So we want to talk about the team and, and the matchup they provide and all that, but I'm not doing that on this week's show. So let's get into this week's. And like I said, I want to go into about half a dozen ish guys and briefly touch on them and maybe revisit them because on, on previous Patriots podcast, on, on previous real thing podcasts here, we've touched on them and sometimes not in the most flattering light. If, if there was a week where a guy had a rough week, we had to bring it up. Uh, and some of these guys, when they have better weeks, they don't get mentioned. And I wanted to spend some time on that because after running through the AFC championship game film, I noticed several guys and some of the good stuff they were doing now that thankfully have really helped this team turn the corner. So they deserve some more attention uh, because I know this happens year after year after year, uh, especially now as, say, we get out of the Super Bowl uh, and hopefully, obviously, the Patriots win that thing. But we start talking offseason talk. And, uh, you know, there are times where an antidote that you'll remember from this game uh, on the road against Buffalo and then the one on the road against Miami or the game against the Steelers or this road game against the Titans or something like that. And you'll have a guy that's more of a role player, a bit player, a guy that does a percentage role, maybe plays 20% of the plays each and every week. Maybe he's largely a special teams player or maybe he's a full-time player that doesn't get a lot of stats. Uh, those kind of guys, if if you don't shine a little light on them and don't update some stuff that they've been doing, those are the kind of guys when we start tra- talking draft talk that, that people will all ultimately think of as, hey, that's a replacement level guy. That's a guy that, you know, I didn't hear his name much. You know, he must not have been doing much. Uh, he's a guy that we need to upgrade or, or whatever. Sometimes that is the case. You know, obviously rosters turn over and obviously organizations are always looking to get better. Uh, but that doesn't mean that these guys necessarily fall in that category. So, um, and I'm actually not trying to make that determination for you one way or the other. We can cover that in the off season if we so choose. But uh, for now, let's just focus on guys you haven't heard about much, or maybe you have in a negative light. Uh, but that that's not fair now for what they're doing in the biggest game on the biggest stage. And uh, as I roll down my notes here, actually one of the first guys I'm going to come to is a Landon Roberts. So, um, taking a swig here. So Alandon is a guy that I know is a bit of an electric or a little bit a little bit of a lightning rod for some people because as a linebacker I hear this stuff I don't spend 16 weeks or any of the playoff stuff you know sort of sitting on these points or or dwelling on these points or trying to trying to dis- debate them or dispute them throughout the year but I know that there is a general sense out there that the linebacker crew needs upgrading you know right that uh, Bentley, the new dude from Purdue that got injured, unfortunately, that misses the year, uh, is, you know, he's the saving grace, and they lost him, and that sucks. Uh, and, you know, I, I shined a lot of light on Bentley early in the year. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a, a really nice player for this team. But I, I believe that there is this sentiment out there that they've got this sort of maybe not so good linebacker group, and they're plucky, and, you know, thank goodness. Uh, they plug the holes with other strengths on the team or something like that. 
one of the things that I always notice when I do that, and it's something I look at every week, and it's just more curiosity, latent curiosity, I guess, because of a guy like me that played linebacker, and I, I tend to notice the depth linebackers more on other people's teams. I tend to watch the other team's linebackers because that's where my eyes go because because that's what I played. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aware of that job very much, and I look at other dudes. I think one of the things that that happens is y- y- people start to fi- to get a, an impression of a guy. Uh, negative occasionally, or or positive with some, or other guys that they're like, ah, he's okay, he's a good patriot, but you know we need a better one than that. But in saying that, not having a real great sense of what other teams' linebacker groups look like around the league, and I think the Patriots get uh, you know knocked uh, unfairly so about the quality of their linebackers. We live in a world now where the the Patriot, well, where most teams in the league are playing a lot more sub and nickel. So there actually aren't as many linebackers in games as you used to see. You know, I was used to the 3-4 days. And uh, in other words, there's four of them on the field every single play uh, up until nickel. And just one of them comes out. And sometimes they don't even really come out because, say, Willie McGinnis is one of those four linebackers. Well, then Willie just slides down to defensive end. He's playing end now instead of linebacker. But he actually doesn't come out of the game. So oftentimes, in the 3-4 days, all four stay on the field even a nickel. All four may even stay in and dime. Well, now, one of the insides is going to go out and dime. But we play way more nickel and dime. But we're in a world now where the Patriots really have two linebackers on the whole on the whole roster. Arguably, I'm sorry, that play regularly. And then two that play uh, as, as support roles. That's it. And, and that I think that leads people to, to – it sort of uh, leads people to think that there's – not much there or not much depth there or not a lot of contribution there because you don't see them on the field necessarily as much and hear the names as much. But if we were in, you know, 1999 or or back in 2003 or 2007 or something like that, yeah, you would see the four linebacker names much more often. And it wouldn't mean that necessarily the quality was better or worse or anything like that. It's just that you're playing different stuff, and they're having different roles, and the four kind of stay on the field. Now they don't. So it's Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy, and both those guys are really good football players, really good football players. Um, I, I, the more I watch Kyle Van Noy, I'm thinking to myself, this guy is he's like a, he's like a pro player. He's one of the more effective uh, defensive players out on the field, and he's, he's been consistently so throughout the year. You know he doesn't have a high sack number, and his his tackle stats are good, but not you know not blowing you away, getting ten every week or something like that. But I, I think one of the part things that hurts him is from that standpoint, and and it helps the Patriots, but maybe hurts you in the in the stat sheet is he plays all over. I mean he's at the edge sometimes, he's in the middle sometimes, he's moving around, uh, and, and asked to do a number of different things, kind of a little Brewski esque in that regard. I mean Teddy's so rare and different for for his his body type and the way he can bend and the angles and the way he shoots holes and the toughness and just he was different man. There's you're never gonna find another guy just like Teddy. But Vanoy, at least from the asked to do lots of things uh, kind of role, is a little bit like like Brew that way. Maybe even a little bit like Vrabes, but Mike Vrabel back in the day too. But so I've sort of set up those other linebackers, the guys and the names you know, and 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 shine a little light on like Dante Hightower. There were games where, Dante, where Hightower did not play at the level we're used to seeing him play early in the year. I think it hurt him. I mean, there are moments when when he's not at his top, and there are just two linebackers on the field. Um, yeah, it can hurt sort of the operation. Uh, but he's playing at a super high level again. Um, not strictly playing inside linebacker off the ball, actually playing much more of the edge stuff. And he does a little of both. So he's still out there and being versatile. But when, he, versatile, but when he's playing at his best, he's, he's damn good. He's one of the better linebackers in the league at the roles he's asked to do. Uh, so we're back to that point. But I'll spin this back to what started the conversation, and that was Landon Roberts. And Landon is into a role now where – I think it's perfect for him, and I think a lot of sort of the negative perceptions of a Landon came from those games where he was going wire to wire. You know, he was going, uh, he's playing full-time inside linebacker, sometimes Mike linebacker with Van Noy as the outside, and they're playing more, you know, the Mike linebackers right over center, the center's uncovered. You got to flow sideline to sideline, both sides, and make every play left and right of center, fill holes, and if you're not perfect, 
there's a lot of light shown on you and and you know sometimes that can bring negative light in in weeks where the whole operation's not going well uh and Alanin is a very aggressive guy I love that about him love to watch him play cuz he flies through the holes he blows stuff up uh he had some he had a couple really big time hits in the AFC Championship game stuffs and plays where they really need it uh but he I think in my view they've really found what works best for him and he's become a really, really good and important support player for them. Just this week ago, just 18 plays, 35%. So he's playing a third of the plays uh, in the game. And I, I think that's, you know, I'm, obviously he's, he may hear this and he may say, well, damn it, I'd love to play more. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm better than that. And, and I'm not advocating that, that he doesn't get some more playing time or something like that. I'm just simply saying they've found sort of the sweet spot with him. Uh, he's not being asked to cover backs each down. He's not being asked uh, to, you know, to to really, uh, you know, do a, a full deal role that would be comparable to what Van Noy's doing. He's uh, slotted into a role that fits him perfect, and it's not just rundown. I think people would be surprised with that. He gets a perception as a guy that just, just you know, he's the run stuffer. Yes, he'll blow up a fullback. Yes, he'll make a run through. I know there is a perception out there that uh, he'll, uh, and it's and there are some, there's some fairness to this that occasionally he would run out of plays because he's so aggressive and he'll end up in the wrong gap or overplaying something and a play hits. We've touched on that a couple times during the year, so it's fair to at least recall that. But don't let an entire season with a guy be remembered for that. Those are 10 or less plays over the course of an entire season's worth of work. He's grown into a guy excuse me, who presses his, uh, the, the guard across from him really well, gets down on him in a hurry, is a handful for the guy who blocks him, has been slipping blocks quite well, and has been really doing his role at a great level. And the, and the last thing I'll touch on before, before we leave the Landon point is that I noticed him in this Chiefs game actually zone dropping really well, covering up routes uh, that that uh, that Patrick Mahomes wanted back over the middle. I can think of three. So, I mean, we're talking about something that's not just an anomaly here where, no, this isn't, he's not the run-stuffer guy. You can't just think of him like that. He was a big-time sideline-to-sideline guy at Houston, leads uh, Houston in college, uh, You know, lead, one of the leading tacklers in all of college football. So he has that nose. And he has some ranginess to him, and it was good to see him get back into those things that you know we kind of all fell in love with a guy when he made this team as a as a as a late draft pick or undrafted guy or whatever it was uh, when he first came in uh, makes the team in that training camp when we recovered him back in the uh, the Patriot preseason games days. Uh, so you know, anyway, I just wanted to shine a little light back on him and say, hey, 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 don't get caught up in just the perceptions of this guy. Atlanta played at a, at a pretty high level. And it has a really nice role now, and he's rolling in coverage, turning his hips, opening to routes, getting underneath them, adjusting, and scaring away throws. And that's all you can ask for. And that's not something I think people would would generally be aware of him doing uh, without that. So he's a linebacker, and you know I got a soft spot for linebackers, especially ones that sometimes don't get full credit for what they're out there doing. Uh, so I spent more time on him. Now fly through the rest of the group a little more. Malcolm Brown, Malcolm Brown, who I know is a lot of is a hot topic with a lot of people out there he's a guy who I at points have 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 had criticism for hopefully just fairly so but uh there have been points at the season where he he uh you know where basically the context in which I was bringing him up is just to say that he wasn't winning enough one-on-one blocks he was struggling in the run game and he wasn't getting on the other side of the line of scrimmage much and and pass pass rush uh and you know it wasn't necessarily playing poorly but he wasn't making an impact. And, you know, he, he was a guy who I'd seen play at a much higher level in previous seasons, seemed to be in a bit of a funk at times this year. Uh, and it was a little more frustrating for me because of the uh, Danny Shelton virtually having no role and saying, hey, man, they're having, a tr- they're having some trouble stopping the run. And uh, you've got this 350-pound guy, Danny Shelton, just sitting on the sidelines. Uh, what happened here in this Chiefs game, though, is Danny Shelton was inactive. We kind of predicted that a little bit even on last week's show. It was a sub game. In other words, you know, the, the Chiefs, they don't play two tight ends. They don't have a fullback that they use. They're not going to get into the pro-style stuff that the Patriots run a lot of where you're going to want a big old nose tackle in there. So it was a heavy danger that, uh, that Danny Shelton wasn't going to have a role this game. It didn't, and they deactivated, or he was deactivated. So that was, 
not so surprising. But what that does is it turns the focus on guys like like Lawrence Guy and then and then uh, and then Malcolm Brown. Now Lawrence, he's a pretty consistent dude. He plays at a pretty high level virtually every week. He's a do your job guy. He's winning blocks more often than not. And uh, Malcolm was more of a coin flip this year. Uh, and and the reason I have to bring it up is not to try to drum that up to shit on the guy. It's more just to highlight the improvement uh, because he played really well in the biggest game of the year, and they needed him to. And he actually had a much more minor role here. Uh, a lot like a Landon, he played 17 snaps, so a third of the snaps uh, on the day. Uh, and you know that there was a fourth and one, or maybe third and one there out out in the field early in the late in the first quarter, early in the second, something like that. And Malcolm does a really nice job of precisely the thing that I did some video breakdowns and stuff here on the pod uh, of him not pulling off and that uh, against the Steelers, and that was being a nose, a shade, a guy that's just offset a little bit from the no, uh, from the from the center, and having to win that block one on one. Uh, which you always should do as a nose tackle, but then also shed the block and then hit the back and not end up falling into the defensive backfield or, you know, going backwards into linebacker level while you make the tackle. You know, actually hitting the center, moving the center back, shedding the center, and then hitting the back and then still ending up on their side of the ball. That's what the big-time tackles do. And uh, hadn't seen a lot of that out of Malcolm this year uh, and have in previous seasons. And this isn't to say the guys, all 16 of his games were negative games. Not that at all. But um, uh, he, what he has done in this two-game stretch here with the Chargers and Chiefs is, in my view, really kind of reverse course on what should be remembered of him in this season because he made some big-time plays in moments that they absolutely needed it. Uh, a couple big-time stuffs here in this Chiefs game and then come in and did some pocket pushing. Uh, you know, Like I said, it's just the 18 plays, so we're not talking about a wire-to-wire thing, which had been more of his role in previous games this season. But... One of the things that – two things. So I talked to you about the stuffs. I talked to you about winning over the center. I talked to you about getting knockbacks and not getting knocked back. But as a pass rusher, he got more pocket push uh, this this uh, this game than I've seen him in some previous clips. And uh, that's a credit to him. And and one thing about him, and that I hear this from other players, he's a popular player on the team. I think guys really like Malcolm. And he works hard. He's diligent. He's trying with his position coach to get better. And he's listening to the coaching. He's not just – He's not some arrogant guy that's just, I am what I am and take me as I am and play me more and I'm getting screwed or uh, no, I'm actually playing awesome or anything like that when, when, when things aren't going well. He's not that guy at all. Seems like an accountable dude. And uh, he seems to have improved and worked on some of the techniques that weren't working. Seeing him actually address and, and do a little better with punch and extending and long-arming guys and getting under people and playing with leverage and all those things. So Malcolm Brown, big improvement. Patriots needed it. That's good stuff. I'm going to quickly touch here on John Simon. And John Simon is, uh, I, I, I never know how to categorize a guy like him. He's, he's essentially the same body type as myself. I would call him an outside linebacker. He's playing generally outside linebacker, but because they're in so much sub, he does play a lot of end too. So is he a defensive end? Is he a linebacker? I'm not sure. Should I be counting him in that linebacker room? The one thing that uh, that st- sticks out to me with John Simon, he plays 60% of the reps here. Uh, you're going to often see him on the edge, uh, typically the left side. Uh, can play some right, moves around a little bit when they start to sub stuff and he's got to bounce. Uh, but John Simon is a guy that, you know, he's got a pretty uh, nondescript name there, John Simon. You know, this is not, you know, it's not Rex Burkhead. It, you know, it's not Corderell Patterson. It's a name that uh, can be a little bit forgettable. And I, I, I maybe that sounds like a dick thing to say. Uh, I don't mean that to your parents and your family and your lineage. Nothing against the Simon name, <laughs> nothing against the name John. But I, I think John Simon, if you go down the roster, gets a little forgotten uh, about the addition they made in signing this guy in season. And, uh, oh, look down, and he's played 60% of the snaps. And, oh, look down to some of these good run stops. Uh, and the Chiefs really you know, had to, had to turn away from the run game pretty early. John Simon's involved in a lot of that stuff. He's part of the games. He's gaming the two-man stuff when they're doing pass rush moves. He's maybe not the guy that gets home and gets the sack stat. But he's doing a lot of good work, and you know I, we always kind of chuckle about this because there are certainly guys like that from my era. Shit, I'm probably one myself, uh, especially prior to the TV stuff and, and seeing my my mug on the tube uh, now more in retirement. But there were guys from our era that were doing 
big time things, good things. Uh, and, and most Patriots fans, other than the fact that they see a big guy, may not know him. You know, Tom Ashworth was our starting right tackle on some of those, uh, some of those championship teams. We could walk into a lot of bars and people aren't going to know who Tom Ashworth was. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Patrick Pass. I mean, Patrick Pass is, uh, is a name I think people know, but, you know, Patrick Pass walks into a room with some other uh, African-American guys, other black dudes like himself in, in New England where, you know, let's be frank, people, we don't see a lot of that. This isn't uh, where I come from. Or this isn't the South either. And I think a lot of people wouldn't really necessarily recognize Patrick. And Patrick was a very, very important role player on those teams. Uh, we'll see if we can think of some other old name, old school guys. Uh, the point of it is there are guys uh, that, that do things throughout the course of the season. You may never hear their name much. But they're very important players on a team. And uh, this team, John Simon's one of those guys. John Simon's a guy I think right now could walk into a lot of the bars, in, in New England bars and, 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 and you know, throughout sort of the region. And people may not recognize him. You may not know him. And this guy's outplayed 60% of the snaps for the team. John Simon is an important player on this team. Uh, and in part because he doesn't screw up much. And I can appreciate that as from, from being an edge player. He's an edge guy who presses, holds edges well. In other words, he does good work against tight ends, good work against tackles, about not getting himself hooked, about playing with good strength, uh, playing with good quickness on the edge, uh, doing his job. And, you know, I can't spend too much more time on it because we don't have video here to sort of uh, show you exactly what it is I'm talking about. But let's put it this way. Don't forget that name. You know, think back on the 2018 season, and you're going to remember, oh, John Simon, and say, you know what, that's a guy that he played at a high level. I may not remember a lot of the plays, but at least maybe Matt Chatham told me as much, and I can trust that because I like the podcast. But anyway, one more drink for me here. So, back to the secondary group, and I think this is really important to hit on, in part because I've talked about this through the season excuse me, really the importance of the strength of that back end. And the strength of the back end to me means really the depth and quality of depth they have with their cornerbacks. Obviously, Stephon Gilmore gets the shine that he deserves. He's played at an all-pro level. He's just been that kind of player throughout the year. Um, and that often turns the attention to the other defensive back, J.C. Jackson, who's who's come on strong. He's done big things. He's He's doing really good work for this team, um, and he came out of nowhere. You know, he's, he had an awesome camp. Uh, Rochi and I were, were doing those preseason uh, radio broadcasts for, for 98.5. We were, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on J.C. Jackson. Uh, he made a lot of plays, had several picks in the preseason, was really good in the in the practices, especially the team periods and the one-on-ones where you get to see, hey, this guy can play, and he's playing against good people. So I, I don't count him as a, as a total surprise for the level at which he eventually contributed. Uh, but I think to the extent where they feel comfortable with this guy going and covering, you know, he can, he can be on Hill for a while. You know, he can be on Keenan Allen. Uh, you don't have to just put him on maybe a third wide receiver to get him to survive. He's he's covering everyone. But we're not bringing him up right now because I think there's been enough talk about J.C. Jackson in the last month or so as he's really come on. Um, and we don't need to talk about Patrick Chung. We don't need to talk about uh, Devin McCourty and even Jason, you know, because those guys get plenty of attention. And they, that that depth that we've been really hammering on that throughout the year. The one I want to mention is actually Jonathan Jones. Now, Keon Crossan, that was a name that popped up that you haven't seen much of. Isn't always active necessarily. Doesn't always have a role. Did some big-time stuff in this game, letting him track uh, and run around with, with Tyreek Hill. And obviously, Hill had a, had a really low production game for himself. But Jonathan Jones plays 80% of the snaps, 79% of the snaps, 41 snaps on a day like this, has a really, really big role. And I would say, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is just how my own ears are taking it over the course of the year, but that Jonathan Jones of that entire room is probably the least talked about guy. Uh, But it was a tough day of work. And I thought he held up really well. Didn't win every matchup, obviously, uh, you know, because it's a talented group. And, and Kansas City was able to move the ball. But especially some of that work and some of those stops that they got in that first half, Jonathan Jones was really doing his job at a high level against really top-end competition. Sammy Watkins is out there, the Robinson guy. Conley, Chris Connolly's pretty solid. Uh, but obviously, anytime you're asked to track uh, uh, Tyreek Hill, you're, you're, your plate is full. 
Uh, and even moments where he ends up over on Kelsey or in, you know, in the neighborhood in his own coverage or jamming up Kelsey and falling to something else or even tracking him from time to time. Really, all the guys throughout the roster were asked to do different things. And because there wasn't really a weak link, there wasn't a place that Mahomes could turn to, really Mahomes got his biggest production on some system plays. And I jokingly say, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that here, but uh, if you if you would please go read my, and if you don't already, go read my column on The Athletic this week about kind of joking and, and mocking and debunking the notion of Brady as a stink and dunk system quarterback. Uh, but what I mean when, when people sort of derisively talk about system they talk about scheme plays, plays where it's like a little misdirection here, a little setup here that the coordinator's done, and the quarterback just has to get his hand out of his hand and deliver it to the where it's supposed to go. And the system, you know, really highlights a play. Well, you know what? The Chiefs had a ton of system plays. Uh, and it was actually the system plays, whatever you want to call those, or scheme plays, the stuff that was unique for the day, that, that were the biggest yards of the day, other than just the broken plays and, and Mahomes chucked it downfield, uh, the big 54-yarder to Hill. So, Anyway, I bring that up just to simply uh, shine a little more light on Jonathan Jones on a really nice day of work and a really big moment. And, man, you just had a lot of defensive backs uh, in this particular day contribute in a big, big, big big-time way. So he deserves a little more notice than we may often otherwise give. Um, This is a final sort of walking away point here on the defensive line, but they really had a a low usage day. This was not a day we obviously already mentioned that Danny Shelton was inactive. Dietrich Wise was inactive. That was shocking to me. You know, I expected him to have a huge role in the game and didn't play. Adrian Claiborne did was active, but he played 18 snaps, so only 35 percent, a third of a third of the snaps there as well. But the really goofy part, if you look into sort of the the the, the usage breakdown of the guys on the day, Lawrence Guy, who's usually more of a closer to wire wire guy, he only played 35 percent, third of the snaps, 18 plays. Uh, so, wow. Okay. Wait a minute. So I had Malcolm Brown in a minimal role. I had Lawrence guy in a minimal role. I had Adrian Claiborne in a minimal role. I got Danny Shelton inactive. Dietrich Wise inactive. Who the hell played? <laughs> Somebody was out there. There's almost not a, you know, the defensive line usage, which, oh my gosh, uh, wasn't out there much. Now this was actually a quirky week. And the one guy I didn't mention on the back end is Jerron Harmon. Jerron just played two snaps. So that's sort of the spillover, the flip side of the coin. If you're going to go heavier with Jonathan Jones and get Keon Crossing on the field more, you don't see as much of that third safety that we've seen. Usually Duran is, you know, he's an oftentimes a leader on this team and plays much more. His role was down. So that's one I should have, should have touched on earlier. But Adam Butler of the defensive lineman actually had the highest snap count. And you know I'm a big Butler fan from, from, from the days that he first arrived here. And he has really improved markedly in his run technique. So he is not just the pass rush guy, which is very important. He's held up really well, and I think that's what's helped him increase his role. But even with him uh, you know, getting the greatest uh, run role, our greatest role of the defensive lineman, the biggest snap count in the D-line room came from Adam Butler, 44%. But he's still below half. So what that's telling you is you're using a lot more of the small ball, letting Van Noy and Hightower and Simon count as ends or you know either guys that pop down. And you know I'm not counting here. Trey Flowers is a never-come-off-the-field guy, so he's really technically your other. He's the D-end, the real true D-end. But he pops inside enough, and if you're going to use him as a as a down inside guy, and you're willing to use Hightower as an edge guy or, or or Van Noy from time to time, depending on the package, all of a sudden there aren't a lot of defensive line snaps to go around. It's cycling Brown and Guy around, and Butler, the three of them, and then you know Adrian Claiborne comes in and gets some end time as well, and that maybe shuffles Trey down or maybe flops the edge, but. I'm rambling on this point, but we're at a stage here now where, and maybe it's just the goofiness of this particular game. You get into a game where it's going to be more sub stuff and you'll see less of those guys. So we'll keep an eye on that for next week because you're going to face, uh, you go into a game here against, uh, against the Rams with Goff under center, running game bigger for them, uh, and I think the defensive linemen, their snap counts will go back up to a little more normal. But it was a little unusual game in that regard. So the tip of the cap here is more just to Adam Butler, whose role has has seemingly increased quite a bit. And, uh, you know, no Danny Shelton and no Dietrich Wise. I look for both those guys to be active in the Super Bowl. I think they're very important players. Uh, and, you know, it, it'd be a shame if if both of them have to sit that one out. 
because I think they're very they're both very positive players and man there's nothing there's nothing better being on the precipice of the biggest game in sports and uh, you know you want to be involved you want to have a big role in that game and if you'll remember a year ago Dietrich had the, the concussion I believe and was a question mark up until the Super Bowl was active but didn't get a high rep count so he misses the AFC championship game and uh, you know hope to see I hope he gets the role and I, I really am still big, and we'll talk about this more next season. He's kind of like my Philip Dorsett <laughs> from last year, a guy that I think could be a star. I think they can be a big-time player when called upon. So moving to the other side of the ball, and offensively, I don't think I need to spend as much time sort of shining light on on under uh, underappreciated guys because with offensive players, we kind of tend to talk about the, the, the targets guys anyway. So it's hard to find the guys who don't get mentioned as much really on that side of the ball. If they're in, if they're being thrown to, if they're getting a carry, we're probably already talking about them. But there's still a couple here that I did want to touch on at least sort of maybe different angles to the, to, to their involvement uh, that doesn't always get, get, get light shown on them. And uh, one of them is the offensive tackles, and this is maybe not exactly accurate to, to do an underrated or, or, or an underappreciated thing because people appreciate Trent, Trent Brown at this point. There's been a lot of Trent Brown, Brown talk. He's a giant human being. Uh, he's getting the microphone in, him in front of him more. I think people are more and more starting to realize how good this guy has been for this team throughout the year. And the big-time performances, outright dominant performances at times uh, against teams like the Chargers and Chiefs where you're seeing big-time players across from him, and he's winning not just you know 51% of the time. He's winning the vast majority of the time. D Ford barely sniffing the other side of the ball. Uh, you know that that's dominant against a good a really good player and, and playing like that against Ingram the week before or Bosa or whoever you happen to hit. Uh, those are big time players that receive a ton of shine in this league and they're not getting a sniff. That's because of work by guys like him. Now I, I'm, that was quick on Trent Brown because I think you hear about him a lot, but I kind of feel like the forgotten man in this, this stellar Patriots offensive line is Marcus Cannon in part because, you know, Belichick has really gone out of his way this year to talk about Joe Tooney and, and Joe deserves that shine. Cause I think sometimes Joe was thought of as, Hey, you're good and you're plucky and, but you're, you're Joe. You're Joe Tooney, you're not you're not Mason, you're not getting the monster contract necessarily. Andrews is the captain, you're not a captain, tackles get more shine. And and Bill's gone on his way and says, Man, Joe Tooney does everything for us. You know, he's the out in space guy, he's the double and climb to the second level guy, he wins in line, he pass protects well, he kind of just does everything really good. Uh so he's gotten that shine. And Shaq Mason, he's in, you know, I think he was a Pro Bowl snub. I think he's, he should have been up at that level. I think he's tremendous. He's, he's, he's really, really good. It's going to be fun to watch that guy battle with Aaron Donald coming up. But we'll spend more time on that this week. But I just went through it, and there's your list of four. And who didn't get mentioned? Marcus Cannon. I think really Marcus is, is maybe a little easier to forget about because he's been around for a while. He plays at a consistently high level. He's no longer making a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro kind of thing necessarily. But he is important, man. Justin Houston, this last week uh, and other weeks, you know, he's getting you know, the, the right tackle often gets the best pass rusher. You know, that's the Von Miller side, you know, where it's not necessarily the left tackle and the blind side stuff. A lot of times the better rusher ends up over there for whatever reason, just tactically how defensive coordinators like to go about it. But Marcus Cannon is playing at a really high level, and, and I, I just think it, it, it bears mentioning, even if it's in a quick point, that it's the cohesiveness of that entire crew. It's the work that they're doing collectively that's really driving this run I think the Patriots are having, at least on that side of the ball. But Marcus is not – it shouldn't be considered the forgotten man. Uh, snap in, snap out, he's playing at a high level that's really commiserate uh, with a lot of the, his other line mates. So uh, Marcus Cannon's still out there, still doing good stuff, and you know it's a great thing for this team that those guys are, are together virtually throughout the entire season. Uh, and my final offensive guy here, I could have spent some time on Burkhead. He obviously has the two plays that are going to go down in Patriots lore. You know, it's a legendary win. Uh, it's against all odds. It's the comeback stuff. He scores on both the two-minute drive at the end, and he scores on the, uh, I believe that was, and then he also in the overtime as well. They're willing to give him the ball in some big-time moments. Some didn't work. They, they didn't get the fourth-down conversion early in the game, sort of plunging forward. 
on a short yardage and didn't quite work. But Burkhead did make some big-time plays on the day. Obviously, Sonny Michelle gets some, the biggest uh, shine because he's the first-rounder. Uh, you know, he's, he's a crazy amount of touchdowns in, in this playoff run and, and production really throughout the season once his year got up and going. So we talk about Sony a lot. James White's a rock star. I mean, he's just such an incredible matchup. Made some stupid, stupid catches in this AFC Championship game. You know, flipping around, back hip, one-hander kind of stuff. Clutch moments. Uh, and James White, you know, just, you know, in that sort of category of the, of the, the Kevin Fox and Shane Vereen and, well, James himself, he's done it already uh, several times. But guys that really in big moments made some absolutely clutch plays. So James is going to get that shine. James is a guy that one week he'll give 15 you know, targets. So we can talk about him a lot. But Burkhead is sometimes a forgotten man in that group. And I believe his, his usage actually tripled uh, from the week before. I think it was a 10-play thing and now 30. Uh, 10 play against the Chargers, 30 against uh, the Chiefs. So I hope that got that part right. But um, it, the reason I mention that is it, it, those reps and the carries – a reflection of the team's faith in him, uh, of Ivan Fears from from sort of the back usage as the, the running back coach, from Josh to, to wanting to put that guy in, wanting to use him more. What it tells you is that they really rely on him to dependably get what's there. The one thing I think we can fairly say about Rex is he is not the, you know, going to get it, go for a home run guy. I think that's more James. If James gets him out in space, look out. Uh, Sony, somewhat of that too. Uh, Sony's quick feet and, and vision and ability to set up blocks and fall forward and run hard and really just uh, get the most out of every run. That, that's been Sony. But Rex has been Rex has been sort of, I think, a little underrated in the quality of some of the carries he's had. And also just some of the clutches, some of the big-time moments where they've been willing to get him give it to him. No, he hasn't made people fall down with big misses uh, as far as, you know, shaking a guy in space. No, he doesn't run over people. He's not quite as dynamic in the passing game as as James White, but he kind of does everything pretty good and it's it's good to have that kind of depth and a guy you can roll it back to and that they're willing to give it in sort of uh, uh the biggest moments. That's super important and and the reason it's it's a Reason I my best guess as to why his role is what it is, is because of the three backs, he's the one that if I'm a linebacker and I'm across, I'm not sure if it's about to be pass or run as much. With Sony, it's not definitive. I know people like to say it's it's in the seventy percent range, and that's true. That hey, Sony's in run coming. They keep you honest just enough with that that it's not just a slam dunk. And same with James. James is in uh, pass coming, a high percentage the other way. Yeah, probably. But again, they're willing to give it to him from time to time or have him just, you know, they're w- enough so that it, it's a key breaker. But Rex is the guy that comes in, and it's, and I don't have the percentage in front of me, so maybe I shouldn't make one up. But to him, it feels a little more balanced, right? So I think that's what you have with these uh, with these guys. A nice mix. Rex with the min- the more minor role, I believe, of the three. Maybe the le- le- the less dynamic of the three, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be very, very glad that he's on the team uh, and he's doing a really nice job in some big-time moments. Great team player and, and doing a really nice job. So a little shine, extra shine there this week for Rex Burkett. Um, finally, we're going to sort of finish this off with the Patterson-Dorsett talk, both with relatively uh, minor roles as far as rep counts in this game. Corderell Patterson uh, in for 18 plays, so 20% of the stuff. Uh, so he was out there more, uh, had the one big, uh, the jet, you know, tap for the jet motion thing where he's motioning behind the line. Brady taps it forward to him. He gets, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 yards, a big conversion there. That was kind of the one big one for the day. Uh, you heard, you may have heard some of the Patriots.com clips or whatever, the, the post game, uh, mic'd up stuff where Brady was apologizing. Maybe it was just the locker room stuff where he was apologizing to Corderell for, for setting him up a little bit for the big hit that he got on that slant, threw it a little behind him. Corderell got a, a big pop and it was a play where they kind of needed it. Um, one thing I wanted to shine though on Patterson's usage, uh, we're still now two weeks in here where the role hasn't been super big. I was glad they gave him the one jet carry. The jet carry went phenomenally. Uh, they also did target him. I'm, I don't have it in front of me, but I thought it was at least two times, maybe even three in the passing game and didn't connect on all those. One of them is the one I just mentioned with, with Brady saying he didn't quite put it on him where he wanted to in the slant. Uh, but the usage is still mild, and we'll get into a little deeper of what I think that means against the Rams and how I think that could flip. Uh, but in saying that, 
big guy, blocks well, selfless guy, still out there doing good things, sitting in the weeds. And uh, again, we'll we'll get into that more a little bit next week. Uh, and, and Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett, uh, it, it's not that he needs more time. We talk about him a lot, so I'm not going to spend much time on this. But when your one play is a 30-yard or whatever touchdown in a big spot on the road, on a downfield ball, obviously. Uh, I don't know if we call it double move, but it's sort of an out and up a little bit. It's not the look back thing like a wheel, but yeah, I don't even know what they call that route necessarily. It's just got a little a little bow to it at the top, and then he ends up extending the route out. But a big-time play down the field, he was absolutely interfered with. Uh, fan, uh, the, the refs in this particular game like to throw that flag against Patriots foes, but he did not get that one. Gronk didn't get his interference calls, and Dorsett didn't get his. So uh, the tip of the cap here is on a relatively low usage day for Dorsett. The one and two receivers were were Edelman and Hogan far and away. Uh, I believe Hogan's Hogan was, yeah, 74% guy, three-quarters of the snaps. Dorsett was down to 37%. So that just simply tells you that they, they weren't playing as much three-receiver stuff. Uh, in the moments where they were, he was typically that third guy. But because Corderell's going to get some as well, he wasn't the exclusive third guy. So the role was relatively minor. But you get the one target in the biggest moment, and it's a touchdown at the AFC Championship game. And it's not just a minor catch-and-run kind of thing, uh, low uh, you know, lo- low catch, and he gets more out of it and makes a play. They went to him downfield on a team where I think people bitch and think they don't have down- downfield options. Uh, that was debunked there, and uh, you know, tip of the cap is all we can say. Uh, I was building him up this time of year last year. We roll it forward, you know, twelve months or whatever, and uh, Philip Dorsett's catching touchdown passes in the AFC Championship game. That that obviously puts a a giant smile on my face. So that's really it for this week's show, and and I hope as much as anything there, I help highlight some people who who you may not have been as aware of uh, because it's really easy to get caught up in the stars, and the stars deserve to be caught up in. The work that Sony Michelle's doing, the work that uh, that James, excuse me, well, James Devlin, yeah, the, the, full, <laughs> the fullback is doing awesome work as a hammer there. But the work, the work that James White is doing, uh, though obviously the work that Tommy's doing at the quarterback position, he's killing it. We all know that. The Gronk uh, reemerges and, and has a tremendous game, both as a blocker and a pass catcher. Uh, defensively, you know, the, the names, you know, are out there, but I did want to spend this time in this week's show trying to pick around in the corners a little bit, lift up the cushions. Oh, you know, and look what we found here and want to make sure that if you're just simply listening to the show, we don't, you know, hyper-focus on the same people over and over again and how they're doing. This was a show to shine a little extra light around the room. And that's how they got. Uh, to this Super Bowl. That's how they advanced. It's a team game. Need the contribution from all, and you really got it in this particular game. That's all for this week's show. It's the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. You may have noticed a little bit on the show. I'm battling a cold here. I hope this thing gets flushed out of my system uh, before I get down to Atlanta uh, and uh, it feels a little bit more uh, balmy temperatures. But uh, that's this week's show. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. We'll be doing a show again next week. Big preview show. I'll wait till a little later in the week, but I'll drop the messages generally on social media there to let you know uh, where things are with that. And uh, there you have it, folks. Thanks so much for listening in. Love your listenership and uh, love watching those numbers grow. Keep telling folks about the show. Keep, uh, I guess it's got a little rating system there on iTunes. You five-star the heck out of that thing. Maybe you're watching it on Blog Talk Radio. Maybe you're watching it on iTunes. Whatever it may be, but I appreciate the good word. Uh, and, uh, you know, go Pats, folks. You get to do it again. You're lucky fans, and that's not luck. Uh, like, you know, just out of the horse's ass kind of stuff, but uh, good fortune. So enjoy it. Big smile on your face. You got a great team to watch. You got a great team to cheer for. Uh, and they're going to go down to uh, Atlanta, and I think they're going to get it done. But we'll talk about that a little more in depth next week. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.